All right, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. The title of the message is Living from the Heart. We come to the end of, uh, we came to the end of chapter 14. Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. There was a storm that came. He comes walking on the water. Then Peter walks on the water. They get safely to the other side. Many lessons there. Then they land and all these people come to Jesus. They hear, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is here. This big healing uh, takes place there. Then we come to the next story, which is right here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. Let's, here's the first uh, you know, little fill in the blank for your notes of application. Because Jesus said, the truth, not tradition, will set you free. Remember that scripture where Jesus said, the truth will set you free. But there is always, in every generation, a battle kind of between truth and tradition. Now, tradition is, you know, kind of can be... Uh, neutral sometimes. It can be good. It can also be bad. But it also, in this setting, can become a detriment. Now, up until now, if I, you know, could draw a little map in your mind of Israel, it's not a, it's a very small country about the size of the state of New Jersey. And up in the northern part of Israel is the Sea of Galilee. And on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum, That's Jesus' headquarters. So the vast majority of his healings, miracles, and deliverances are way up here to the north. Now, way down south in the territory of the tribe of Judah, that's where Jerusalem is. So it's about as far away as you can get toward the southern part of Israel. So now the word comes from this whole, all the tribes and all those who live up in the north, it makes its way down to the holy city of Jerusalem, And the religious leadership there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and so forth, and they, wow, there's this amazing guy. And the reports are coming that miracles, I mean, more than miracles, super miracles, powerful demonstrations, things that we as Jews who have seen a lot in our history, we've never seen the likes of this, the power, uh, the, the demonstration of the authority the healings, the deliverances, even from the demonic realm. And so people are going, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he could be the Messiah. So the religious leaders get together, and and they're not really excited in one sense or necessarily happy about it, at least some of them, because really if he's the Messiah, in their view, he should have come first to Jerusalem. And then he should have come through us. Let us see him, hear him, inspect him, and then give him our stamp of approval, and then send him out. But Jesus didn't do that, and he just, he starts up there. So they go, well, let's put together a little team, a little posse, and then we'll send them up north and watch him and listen to him and see if he's doing anything wrong. So basically, these religious leaders, they come with their little pens and pads, and and they're they're taking notes, and they're following, and they're looking for, is he doing something that's weird or that's off, or that would show that he's a false messiah? And the best they could come up with is that the disciples do not wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. That's the best they could come up with. 
And immediately, you know, we think, wow, well, wait a second. I mean, you know, you should wash your hands or whatever. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that, you know, because we know they were simple, humble guys. They were fishermen or whatever. It doesn't mean they didn't wash their hands before they ate. They did that. But it's, they didn't wash their hands the right way. They didn't wash it according to the traditions of the elders. That's what their problem was. So you have the laws of God. And by the way, the, the commandments, the laws of God, uh, many times get a bad rap. It's like, wow, all this legalism and stuff. But when you actually get into the laws of God, every law has a purpose. Every law has a reason. And every law of God is actually quite practical. When you want to go back like 3,000 uh, years ago or whatever, 3,500 years ago, um, and you realize that uh, many of the people, they didn't have the modern science, medicine, understanding, technology we have today. So in those cultures, I mean, people, you know, babies would die all the time. People would die. I mean, the life average expectancy was quite short because they didn't do that. They didn't wash. They didn't cleanse. They, they didn't have sanitation. So here's this Jewish community that stands out like a brilliant jewel. And when God says, I want you to wash, I want you to cleanse, they were washing all the time, cleansing all the time, using water all the time, doing mikvahs and, and all of this stuff. It was for their health. It wasn't just some random rule, but, but it was really kind of modern hygiene now in ancient times for life and health and enjoyment. And as a society, God wanted his people to stand out. And everybody, how come those guys don't have the diseases and the plagues and the stuff that we have? So that was the purpose behind it. But the, the Jewish people came and they said, okay, so it says you got to wash your hands. That's God's law before you eat your food. But what's the right way to do it? So then they would get, have big discussions and have classes and talk about it. We well, got to do this. You got to do that. And they began adding. So here's God's laws. Very simple, very life-giving, pragmatic, healing. On top of that, they added a whole new list of thousands of man-made interpretations that became man-made laws or man-made traditions that this is how you do it. It's not that they weren't washing or using water, it's they didn't do it the way that the Pharisees did it or the Orthodox did it, and so they're going, you're violating. So this is where there can be a problem, and, and Jesus was concerned for them because they're making an accusation. And Jesus said, but they're not actually breaking my father's laws. They're breaking your traditions and your interpretations. So um, tradition, you know, tradition. <laughs> you know, we all have our traditions and they can be good and they can be bad. Well, let me also mention to you that um, the church, after being here for 2,000 years, we have a lot of traditions. And some of them are good. And some of them are maybe not so good. Um, but what we have to always, you know, measure is are our, we, not letting our traditions take over the predominance of the actual, what the Bible actually says. So I wanted to have you write this down. Here are some things the church pretends are biblical, but in the final analysis, they really are not. Uh, but sometimes we pretend, oh, it's got to be this way. So here's the first one, um, and that is the style of worship music. There are certain churches that say, look, the only, well, there, it goes all the way from there. Are some that say, 
You can sing all you want, but you cannot use any instruments. So that's their... The Bible doesn't say that, but somehow they find that's their tradition. Okay, and then there are others. Now, I grew up and, you know, when I was younger, we went to a couple of different churches and they were kind of more uh, mainline, denominational, very good, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching. You know, they did everything. It was cool. But in the musical thing, it was very different. It was pretty much all hymns all the time. So I, I like hymns. I mean, anybody, you guys like hymns? But how about all hymns all the time, only hymns, and anything else is not of God kind of deal. So that can get into a problem. I'll never forget, you know, when I was, you know, a teenager, and the first time I I come to like this Calvary Chapel church, and this is where God used, you know, my pastor Chuck Smith to do something kind of revolutionary. He had a standard traditional, you know, little kind of couple of hundred seat church, Traditional music, traditional this and that, and then all of a sudden, some, some hippies came into the church, and they got saved, and they said, hey, I mean, you know, long hair, drugs, all this stuff, and, and there were four of them, and they go, hey, hey, Chuck, uh, you know, we wrote this song, like, you know, could we, like, let you listen to it? They weren't asking for a concert, and so Chuck's like, yeah. So these four guys come up, and they, they start going into this song, and as they sang it, the Spirit of God came on Chuck, and he started weeping. He goes, would you take that song? Nobody had ever done anything like this. Would you bring that? He brought it into the church. And it was non-traditional. It was revolutionary. So from my background, I heard about this church, the chapel in the bean field, all that. So by the time I got there, I go in. And from my little church eyes, they went, got this big because I saw something I'd never seen in church before. At that, now, this is back in the you know, 70s. You know what I saw? I saw a set of drums on the stage. <gasps> Is that allowed? Is that of God? Not only that, there were guitars. I'd never seen at that time guitars in a church. I was like, oh my gosh, this is wild. And um, so, it, it, you know, with this whole thing going on, and then, you know, um, the, as the hippies would come, they had, I mean, really, if you, for those who were there, I mean, long hair for guys was like down here. So these guys, somehow through Chuck's church, some, you know, kids, they, they, they came to the church and they, they told their friends, hey man, it's about love. So this was in the 60s where the world is falling apart. You got John F. Kennedy gets assassinated. Robert Kennedy gets assassinated. These two young, handsome guys, everybody thought they were so awesome. Then Martin Luther King gets assassinated. Then there's the Vietnam War. Then they're shooting students on Kent State. It's like, man, the wheels are coming off the bus. Where are we gonna hear some, some hope? And this little church said, Jesus is real and love. And so these guys started singing these songs. And all of a sudden, it was like they opened the door to a whole generation that didn't look like church kids, didn't dress like church kids, didn't talk like church kids. But they came streaming in because they were so desperate and hungry for the love of God. Now, what's weird is not only did they have long hair down to the back of their uh, you know, back, but uh, they, in those days, I don't know why, but bib overalls were really popular as a clothing style, no shirt or t-shirt, just kind of like, you know, manly, you know, here we come. And, and they didn't, so they're, they're coming into the shirt, shaking their hair around and they're walking past people who are staring at them. (gasps) 
oh my gosh, what are they doing here? And so they're walking past people and they, they stare at them as they walk down and they walk all the way down to the front and they don't sit in the front row, they sit on the floor, Indian style. And, and they're like, hey man, I heard some good music, let's go, come on, bring it. So they start playing the music and everything and, and then on top of all that, <laughs> So some of those who were ministering up at the stage, they said, once it got packed with all these young little hippies or whatever, they said, eventually you noticed if you were the preacher that night, this very sweet aroma would start coming onto the stage. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, it was interesting. And so, um, and then they would share the gospel and then they would say, do you need love? Do you need hope? Do you need peace? Do you want forgiveness? Is your life a mess? Then come forward. And boom, by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So tradition got literally uh, turned upside down on its head. And a whole new style of, you know, not only the music, but, you know, when is the right time to worship? At that time, you know, basically there were two days. Like Sunday, many, you know, like we have Sunday services. The reason that to, to this day people worship on Sunday is... This is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. So that's like we like honoring Sunday. It's the first day of the week. But then you got the Sabbath. And so if you want to keep the Sabbath, then you got to do that on Saturday. So pretty much Saturday and Sunday, and that becomes the weekend. But then they would say, well, can you have church on another day? Well, some churches, well, okay, Wednesday, but that's it. You know, no, nothing else. So here's this Calvary Chapel. They got more people. They're filling up all the services they got. And they go, we got to start something new. And they want, because they kept saying, what are you going to, what do we do the other nights of the week? So guess what they started? They started a Monday night worship time at church. And when people first heard of that, the other pastors in the air were like, that's the dumbest idea that's ever been invented. Monday night. Nobody will come on Monday night. Why? Because Monday night's Monday night football, man. That's the American religion. But guess what? They started Monday night. They started inviting these youth groups and then different evangelists. And like Greg Laurie, you ever heard of Greg Laurie? Yeah. Who for years was preaching on Monday night. And guess what? On Monday night, despite Monday night football, the place was packed with kids who came streaming forward and said, we need love. We need healing. We need forgiveness. We need Jesus. And, and a revival broke out, man. And the world was never the same. Hallelujah. It's amazing. I remember uh, one of the first bands that came, those four guys that played for Chuck, and he said, I'm going to take a chance and let you guys come up here. They wrote a song called Little Country Church on the Edge of Town, and it's very plain to see. It's not the way it used to be. Preacher isn't talking about religion no more. He just wants to praise the Lord. They're talking about revival and the need for love. That little church has come alive, working with each other for the common good, putting all the past aside. Long hair, short hair, some coats and ties. People finally coming around, looking past the hair and straight into the eyes. People finally coming around, and it's very plain to see it's not the way it used to be. There's a song, man, that's an old song. So, you know, the order of service, there's traditions about that, which can be called liturgy. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. How do you do it? What's the order? Um, there's, you know, it's the basics. You've got baptism. Uh, you've got communion. You've got prayer and the Lord's Prayer and, and all of that. But 
Did you know there's nowhere in the Bible that says you should do the order of service this particular way? It leaves it open. It's free. Um, So we can have traditions, but it's not the same as God said. So we have to be careful with all of that. And then, you know, the dress code. Um, You know, I I think about this, and I, I just wonder, you know, if... Right now, we, there are things that are reminding me of the late 60s and the early 70s where God just started pouring out His Spirit. Because while, you know, there, there are people that are not in church this morning, they're drowning right out there. Even in beautiful San Diego, they can have a nice home, they got a job, economy's good, uh, but their marriage is a mess, they're not happy, their kids are wandering, exploring, all kinds of things. They don't know what to do with it all. They live in constant stress. They're drowning. And so they're in need. And they may not look like us, and they may not dress like us, but I, I want to give you guys, I want to give you a challenge. You guys ready for a challenge? Okay, here's my challenge. So I've been doing all the teaching, discipling, we pray for one another, have communion, God's been doing healing and stuff like that. That's awesome. But the one last thing that Jesus did after he did all this stuff is he sent them out and he said, I want you to go out. So I'm going to send you guys out. Here's what I'm going to ask. Over the next couple of weeks, I want you to be open uh, to the Lord putting somebody, and I don't want you to judge them. Don't judge the book by its cover, what they look like. In fact, the very person that you go, that's the last person that would ever go to church on Sunday. You know what? That's what the church in the beginning of the revival looked like, was a whole bunch of people that the last people you would ever pick would go to church or there. But they were human, and they had a need. Who doesn't need love, peace, joy, forgiveness, healing, deliverance? I mean, the world. So what if God would put it on your heart? And you see some, I want you to invite people to come to church. And, and just be, how many of you be ready to be open? If the Lord puts somebody that you just, now look, you, you may not, you can't bring them. You invite them. It's the Holy Spirit that'll bring them. But you just invite them. Amen. So let me pray for you right now. Bow your head, Father, in the name of Jesus. I just thank you for who we are, where we are, and and I thank you for all these wonderful and nice people that are here at Maranatha. But God, right here in all the communities surrounding us in this city, Lord, of some three million people, both the city and the county, there are people that are dying. Uh, They're desperate. They're alone. Uh, Their relationships are broken. And their their minds are, are frustrated. And they have anxious hearts. And they need what we have. And so, Lord, may you use us as holy ambassadors just to invite them and just see what you may do for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, whoops, let's go. Okay, the, the next one, the proper way to baptize. I'll leave you with this, you know, as far as tradition, baptism. So, yeah, we've got to baptize. It's in the Bible. Just a little story. Did you know that there was a church and they got into an argument of the right, not just to baptize, but the right way to do it. So there were some that said, when you get, go down in the water, you got to go down forward first. And others said, no, 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 no. That, if you did it that way, that doesn't even count. doesn't even register in heaven. When you get baptized, you got to go backwards down and then come back up. And they literally could not come to agreement. They split the church in half and went in two different directions. That's tradition. The Bible doesn't tell us how to do it. Uh, It just says to do it. 
So we do our best to follow what the Bible says. And the Bible said, if you're a believer, get baptized. So we baptize believers. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's the tradition. So let's go on to the next point and the next set of verses. Tradition is external, while God's truth is internal. So in verse 3, Jesus says, he answered and he said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as, the doctrine, teaching as doctrines, supposedly of God, the commandments of men. Man, I just want to say, be careful. I mean, it is my heart's desire only to give you what God says, what the Bible says, what the Word says, but, but not to give you man-made, forced interpretations, traditions that you have to follow. We want to stay as close to the Word as we can. So here's what Jesus, they made an accusation against his disciples. The Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So Jesus resisted all of that, and he says, well, now that you brought it up, I'm going to expose something about you hypocrites, because you do this. So you know how the Bible says in the fifth commandment, you're to honor your father and mother. It's one of the, you know, the first four commandments are about your relationship with God, and then it begins in number five with practical, and the first practical horizontal relationship we have to honor our whole life is honoring our mother and father. Now, the truth is, all of our moms and dads are imperfect, they're all sinners, and they're varying degrees, some are better and some are worse, but the Bible doesn't give us any out, we've got to honor them. And as they took care of us when we were little, we've got to take care of them all the way until they're aged, and we're to honor that. So the only way you can fulfill the fifth commandment is you have to learn how to forgive. You have, and, that, and that's why God made it so practical, because in heaven there's no, aren't you glad about this, there's no grudges in heaven? Nobody's walking around, looking at you, ticked off, whatever. None of that exists in heaven because everybody has learned forgiveness. And we learn it here. And the practice is mom and dad. We learn by them and through them, our imperfect parents, we need to forgive them of everything they've done. And the way we show it is by honoring them. You know, we take care of them. Well, the religious Pharisees, they were like, I don't want to give, you know, I want my money. I want to hang on to it. I don't want to take care of them. It can get expensive. So what they would do is they would take their pile of money while mom and dad are old and they go, korban, which means I've given everything I have to God. Now, you and I would think, oh, well, they just wanted to give all the money to God and not give it to the parents. No, they didn't do that necessarily. They might hang on to the money and say, well, I've got to be a manager of the money, but I go, korban, it's given to God. When I die, it'll be given to him. But for right now, I need to have it and take care of it. But because I gave and dedicated everything I got to uh, God, I can't help you, mom and dad. So Jesus said, your man-made interpretation, you are violating the very commandment of God to love and to honor and to take care of your mom and dad because of your greed and your selfishness. He said, that's hypocrisy. And that's what he wanted to avoid. And so that's really what this is all about and what is behind some of that. So... Let's go on to the next lesson. The thing God wants most from us 
What is he really after with me? It's our heart. So beginning in verse 7, again, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Uh, In other words, it doesn't count. God doesn't receive it teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. So here, you know, Peter, James, and John, they're kind of Jewish, and so we follow the the commands of God, what's clean and unclean. And a lot of people get worked up about, you know, that. But again, when you actually get into what was in God's law— The foods he said were clean and allowable to eat are actually okay and healthy for you. And the foods that he said these are unclean are foods that now we know are not good for your body. So there was a practical element to all of that. But it became so obsessive about eating that your whole spiritual life was about uh, what what I'm going to eat. And Jesus is saying it's not what goes into your mouth that is more important than what really comes out of your mouth, your words. Because your words reveal your heart. They reveal what you really believe. So it's all about the heart. So I want to look at these things, the importance of the heart. We believe in the heart. That's where literally salvation comes from. So let's read Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's powerful. It's what I believe in here, and then confirm by what I say with my mouth. That's where salvation comes, believing in the heart. Number two, we love from the heart. Matthew 22, verse 37. Let's read this. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, so everything from the heart and the spirit, we're to love the Lord our God. And then thirdly, we sing from the heart. And by the way, I want to remind you that, uh, you know, the worship service uh, that begins at 1030 and we have about 25, 30 minutes, it's, it's more than just singing, it's actually worship, and we sing from the heart. So let's read Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's all about our heart and from the heart. So we believe in the heart from the heart. We, we love from the heart. We sing from the heart. No wonder David said and prayed this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen? Okay, let's look at this. This is our last point here for this morning. As Jesus brings his final comments, anything not planted in God's word will eventually be uprooted. Those who build their lives on certain traditions, if it's not a tradition rooted in the word of God, it'll eventually fall apart, fade away, have no significance and no lasting fruit in our lives. So beginning in verse 12, and then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended 
when they heard this? It's like, Jesus, you know, you just, you, you just hurt their feelings. Did you know that? <laughs> this is a hilarious verse to me. Yes, Jesus knew he hurt their feelings. There are some Christians that think, wow, I've got to be really careful and walk on eggshells all through my family and through my life and at work and everywhere else because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I'm a Christian. Well, here's Jesus hurting people's feelings. Why? Because sometimes you just got to say it like it is. You got to speak the truth. The Bible says speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. And Jesus spoke the truth and he spoke it in love. Yes, Jesus knew that he hurt their feelings. And then verse 13, but he answered and he said, look, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. He's talking about their man-made traditions. Let them alone, verse 14. If you have a pen or pencil, underline that. I love that. What do we do with our critics? Uh, Jesus' answer is, let them alone. I want you to know Jesus did not start an anti-scribe and Pharisee movement. He said, let them alone. They got their own problems. We're going to just love people, forgive people, bless people, and follow on. So he says, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. There's nothing worse than when the guy that was telling everybody else how to do it ends up totally falling apart. And then he goes, now what do I do? Okay, well, then maybe now that you've fallen into the ditch, maybe you're open to the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God. Verse 15, then Peter answered and said, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth, so what you say with your words come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, according to their tradition and interpretation, does not defile a man. So many people are worried about, you know, what they eat and how they eat and this and that, but there's something far, far, far more important, and that is the words that come out of our mouth, because our words reveal our heart. Amen? So let us watch our words. Let us live from our heart. Let our heart be aligned, not necessarily with tradition, could be good or bad, but aligned with God's word. Amen? Amen. Okay, enough for now. Let's close our Bibles. Bow your heads. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask uh, Evan to come out for one last song, but I just want to pray for all of you. Father, I just come before you this morning, and, and I thank you how you, you rattle our cage, you shake us up, uh, you say things to stir us and to, and to maybe reevaluate how we're living and are we really living from our heart? What are the words that are coming out of our mouth? And are they really reflecting who we are, what we are? And, and hopefully that they are your values. And Lord, let us then also, you know, there, there are probably certain things that are part of our lives that are not really of the Spirit or re- even, you know, like thus saith the Lord, like commandments, but we're hanging on to traditions that may be slowing us down or dragging us down or distracting us. And we, we've made maybe a mountain out of a molehill, which is what was happening 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, you shook them free, and you let the disciples know, this is what's important to my dad and my father. 
and you didn't want the rules and traditions of men to keep the masses of humanity that were hungry for the things of the Spirit far from you. But you wanted to clear all of that up and build a bridge of love and grace and peace. And Lord, we realize that there are multitudes. You know, we're, we're in this oasis of the worship and word and getting dis- discipled and encouraged and prayed for and blessed and healed and delivered. But there are literally thousands of people surrounding us that are drowning. And Lord, you know, again, uh, there, there are storms raging in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our homes. Um, and, and there are many people that, man, they need, uh, they need somebody to throw them a life preserver. May we be those hands, those feet. May we be that person, uh, the, the man of peace, the woman of peace, a conduit, a vessel, just like they're doing back in Florida. We can be that here for the invisible storms and build a bridge for people to come into the house of love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.